So we continue our series, Velocity. We are in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. Last week we talked about what survivors do. I said there are four themes woven into the fabric of our lives. There's the theme of needing to see each day as a gift. What will this day mean? What's in this day that's a gift to use and grow with and do something with? I said there's a theme of needing to know God is there for you. Having a personal relationship with God is the essence and it's the beginning of really living. The third theme is the theme of heart-to-heart connection, real friendships, real relationships, really understanding what it means to live in love and grace and deep understanding relationally. And finally, there's a theme of knowing a mission worthy of sacrifice, worthy of your sacrifice, something you become passionate about giving yourself to. If you misunderstand the first theme, you will think life owes you more stuff. If you misunderstand the second theme, you will think God must not let anything bad happen to you ever. If you misunderstand the third theme, you will demand that someone fill your emptiness and loneliness and you will make them a prisoner of your deep abiding hurts. If you misunderstand the fourth theme, you will think personal security is optimal and personal sacrifice is optional. Wisdom always finds a way. Wisdom makes a way. Wisdom is the way. Wisdom is God's way. In the Old Testament, there are five books of wisdom, of which Ecclesiastes is one. And it gives us all the parameters. These these books give us all the parameters of God's way of thinking. They ask questions. They offer answers. They give us moments when we can sit and ponder and think about how can this wisdom apply to my life right now, today in 2017? Where do you go to find wisdom in the world in which we live? As I look around and as, as you know, there's a lot of talk. Talk is cheap today. Talk, 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 a lot of talk and a lot of breaking news and the breaking news evokes more breaking news and talking evokes more talking and with all the words that fill the air, when is there breaking news of wisdom? When is there a moment where you you say, ah, that's wise. That's what we really needed to hear. And so it's important to take a moment like this and to hear what Solomon says because in his book of wisdom he asks the important questions in his book of wisdom he ponders the conundrums of our lives it's this wisdom that we turn to today and let me talk to you about wisdom from Ecclesiastes 9 so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. 
Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall upon, that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it. And a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise. And he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools, of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. I read that chapter and I go, wow, there's so much in there. You know, Solomon ranges far and wide on the wisdom scale. So as you read it and you think about all the different things he's saying, how do you come to grips with it? What do you, what do, you do with it? When I come to a, a passage like that or a chapter like that, I want to break it into manageable pieces. And so when I look at this particular chapter, I see three moves that Solomon is making, three moves in his quest for wisdom. And so I call these moves acts, as I often do. Act one, act two, act three. And I'd like to, to share these with you this morning. I've given each of them a name, and I'd like to take you through the three acts of Ecclesiastes chapter nine. I'm going to read these to you now out of the message instead of the New International Version. Act one is in verses one through six, and I have named this appropriately honoring Charles Schultz. I've named this chapter, ah, this part of the chapter, verses one through six, ah. Remember Charles Schultz and Snoopy would always be, ah, and, and, and Charlie Brown would be, ah. And what are they saying? They're saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't control things. I can't control people. They do things they're not supposed to do. They say things they're not supposed to say. Things happen that are not supposed to happen. It seems like life is, is falling apart all the time. I can't stop Murphy's Law from breaking into my life. Ah! Oh, well, I took all this in and thought it through inside and out. Here's what I understood, says Solomon. The good 
the wise and all that they do are in God's hands. But day to day, whether it's love or hate they're dealing with, they don't know. Anything's possible. It's one fate for everybody, righteous and wicked, good people and bad people, the nice and the nasty, worshipers and non-worshippers, committed and uncommitted. I find this outrageous. Ah, the worst thing about living on this earth, that everyone's lumped together in one fate. Is it any wonder that so many people are obsessed with evil? Is it any wonder that people go crazy right and left? Ah, life leads to death. That's it. That's it. Still, anyone selected out for life has hope. For as they say, a living dog is better than a dead lion. So I looked and I looked and I looked. What's this living dog going to look like? And I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked. And here's what I found. <laughs> That's it. Live like someone left the gate open. That's what Solomon is saying. You're alive. You're going somewhere. You don't really know where you're going, but you're going with great enthusiasm. It's a day that's rolling out before you. You've got innumerable opportunities to get treats, innumerable opportunities to have somebody scratch your ear, innumerable opportunities to sit in somebody's lap. This is a great day. A live dog is the way to go. It's better than a dead lion. Here's my picture of a lion. A lion. Before he croaks, beware of the dog, he says. So, so let's go back to the dog. It's a much better picture. Okay, so the dog is, is alive. The dog is embracing life for all it's worth. This is wisdom, a living dog. When you have life, you can embrace whatever it is that's about to happen to you. The living at least know something, even if it's only that they're going to die. But the dead know nothing and get nothing. They're a minus that no one remembers. Their loves, their hates, yes, even their dreams are long gone. There's not a trace of them left in the affairs of this earth. This is a picture that hung for years and years in the little entryway of the house that I grew up in. There was this, our front door, you came into this really tiny little cubicle room. You couldn't really do anything in the room. It was very, very small. There was a closet off to the left uh, and this picture was always hanging there. And this picture is of either my second, third, fourth, fifth cousin, you know, on my, I think my grandmother's side. And, and my mother knew her name. Uh, I, I do not know her name. She's a beautiful bride. She's wearing a beautiful dress. The expression on their faces say, you know, this is the day, the first day of the rest of our lives together. But the story was, as my mother told it to me, she got sick and died right after the wedding. And I don't even know her name. The picture is up in my office now. Their loves, their hates, yes, even their dreams are long gone. There's not a trace of them left in the affairs of this earth. And so this first act, this first act is, is about just the difficulty of life and the challenge of life. And, and everybody gets this life. And how's it going to turn out? What are you going to do with it? What's it all really about? As, as Solomon often brings this theme to us through his book of Ecclesiastes, so it comes again in chapter 9. 
So if the first act is, ah, oh, the second act, verses 7 to 12, is what I call the main thing. This comes from a statement by Stephen Covey. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. This is one of those thoughts that some smart person sat down and, and wrote one time. And it, it does make a lot of sense if you think about it. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing at home? Keep it. What's the main thing in business? Keep it. What's the main thing in terms of education? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. And that's what he's telling us in Act Two, the main thing. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. He's brought this theme before in Ecclesiastes, and he, he brings it back. There's something about God gave us life, and he wants us to really enjoy life. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. It reminds me of a, of a song. We sang this song the other day at a memorial service here. It was the, the woman who passed away. It was one of her favorite songs in March of 1970. This song, 1970, March of 1970, this song came out. It hit number one on Billboard Top 100 for two weeks. It won a Grammy in 1971 by Ray Stevens. It's simply called Everything is Beautiful. Everything is beautiful in its own way, like a starry summer night on a, or a snow-covered winter's day. Everybody's beautiful in their own way. Under God's heaven, the world's going to find a way. There's none so blind as he who will not see. We must not close our minds. We must let our thoughts be free. And if you remember the song, as I recited to you, you kind of hear in the background, the opening chorus was a bunch of kids from a school in Nashville, Tennessee, singing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. So it hit number one. It reminds us that God made life as a gift and God gave life as a gift. Seize life. Relish life with the spouse you love. Make the most of each one. Take each day and use it. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. I took another walk around the neighborhood and realized that on this earth as it is, the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor satisfaction to the wise, nor riches to the smart, nor grace to the learned. Sooner or later, bad luck hits us all. No one can predict misfortune like fish caught in a cruel net or birds in a trap. So men and women are caught by accidents, evil and sudden talked to before about the accident that sort of changed everything in my life. It came suddenly without warning. I just went to work that morning. I had a summer job working for a moving and storage company, working on, on big trucks and, and moving things around. And, uh, and this day, I decided to go into work late. I made a decision. I'm going in late because I don't want to work with this crew anymore. I want a new crew to work with. So when I got there late and I explained myself to the dispatcher, he sent me on a new job. And as 
God would have it, that day was a day that I almost lost my life. I still don't know exactly what happened. The truck was backing up to a warehouse. I looked the wrong way at the wrong time. The back door of the truck hit my head. My head got caught on the brick wall, the edge of the brick wall of the warehouse. The truck was still coming back. And in the space of maybe a quarter of an inch, my entire life hung in the balance. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. I'm thankful my mother said to me, Michael, you have a hard head. And I'm thankful that I did. I proved I had a hard head that day because the truck stopped and I was wedged, but they got me out and I went to the hospital and here I am all these years later. But you never know sometimes. I remember you know, a time in my life when I was in seminary and, and uh, you know, Ashley was a year old and we had moved 3,000 miles across country to Oregon and I didn't really know anybody. And so it's hard to make connections when you don't know anybody and I needed a job really bad. I was painting. I was painting these apartment buildings. I was raking leaves in yards just to, to make $15 to buy some food and put some gas in the car. And I was standing on the second floor of a classroom building and I talked to somebody right in front of me. I said, I really need a job. I really need a job. And a voice behind me said, you want a job? You got a job. And there was a man back there whose uncle and his father owned this multi-million dollar business, food packing business in Portland, Oregon. And it turned the tide, everything. So you don't know what's going to happen. Every day can have something in it that you don't understand and you have, to, you have to negotiate. And this is why Solomon writes about these things. And he says, you have to take each day as it is and enjoy it for what it is because you don't know what's going to happen. Act one is just all that frustration. Act two is you got to take each day as a gift and keep the main thing the main thing, Act 3, is what I call intentional living, verses 13 to 18. He tells a little story. He sort of ends with a little parable. One day as I was observing how wisdom fares on this earth, I saw something that made me sit up and take notice. There was a small town with only a few people in it. A strong king came and mounted an attack, building trenches and attack posts around it. There was a poor but wise man in that town whose wisdom saved the town. He thought about it. He spent time maybe drawing sketches. He spent time just thinking and wondering. Stayed up late at night with a lamp lighting his, his way and just figured it out. And he saved his town. But he was promptly forgotten. He was only a poor man after all. All the same, I still say that wisdom is better than muscle. And even though the wise poor man was treated with contempt and soon forgotten... The quiet words of the wise are more effective than the ranting of a king of fools. Wisdom is better than warheads, but one hothead can ruin the good earth. So this little parable made somebody ask a question. What is the one sentence summary of how you change the world? What's the one sentence summary of how you change the world. And the answer came, always work hard on something uncomfortably exciting. Always work hard on something uncomfortably exciting. This is intentional living. This is what that poor man did and saved the city with his wisdom. He worked on something that was uncomfortably exciting. And when it comes to living, it's best done intentionally. 
is what Solomon is trying to teach us. Uh, a good friend of mine in a general way, I've, I've been to his house and I've been in his office and I've, I've talked to him. I've been up close and personal with John Maxwell a couple of times. Uh, he just came out last year with a book called Intentional Living, Choosing a Life That Matters, where he, he talks about what this really means at a, at a multitude of practical levels. So if you really want to go deeper in, then pick up John's book, Intentional Living, Choosing a Life That Matters, and, and he'll get you there. But the other day I was listening to one of his online seminars, and he talked about something he likes to talk about a lot, uphill climbing versus downhill sliding. And what John always talks about whenever he gets a chance is that everything worthwhile in life is uphill. Everything. It doesn't matter what age you are. You could be 16 trying to slug it out through high school. You could be 26 in your first new job that's a really good job and you're trying to figure out your career path. You could be 46 sort of in the middle of life, 56, trying to figure out, okay, where's this thing going now? And I've got all this experience. So what am I going to do with it? You could be 76 or 86. It doesn't really matter. It's all uphill, John says, all the way. Because the only other direction, there's no other direction except one, downhill sliding. Because if you let go of the chance to go uphill today, tomorrow you'll be sliding down the hill, most likely backwards. And that doesn't bode very well. So he talks about in his book, The Difference Between Intentional Living and Unintentional Living. Let me explain that to you. Intentional living always has an idea. Unintentional living always has an excuse. Intentional living fixes the situation. Unintentional living fixes the blame. Intentional living makes it happen or makes something happen Unintentional living wonders what happened, doesn't have a clue. Intentional living says, here's something I can do. This is where I can fit in. Unintentional living says, why doesn't someone else do something? Why doesn't somebody else do this? The goal of intentional living is to finish well, to finish well, to go uphill climbing and uphill climbing and uphill climbing until one day you reach out and your hand touches the hand of Jesus as he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You did well in your climb. The goal of intentional living is to finish well. Here's what finish, finishing well looks like. Being bigger on the inside than the outside because character matters. Valuing humility above all other virtues because perspective matters. Traveling the high road of life because attitude matters. Teach only what you believe and with all your heart. I can only teach what I believe with all my heart because passion matters. Making every day your masterpiece because today matters. Loving God with all your being because focus matters. Finishing well. Finishing well because Faithfulness matters. And then John puts it this way in a pithy sentence. Nobody finishes well by accident. Nobody finishes well by accident. Ugh, life can be so frustrating. You got to keep the main thing the main thing. You have to live intentionally and finish well. And toward the end of 
John's book, he quotes a Franciscan blessing. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. In The Lord of the Rings, the film... The return of the king, near the end of the movie, the good guys are up against it. And in a good movie, at some point, the good guys have to be up against it because it creates the tension of the movie. It creates the drama of the moment. So the good guys are up against it. What are they going to do? And so they, they call together a council. This council is about how they're going to take the next step and how they're going to enter this, this war. And the diminutive Gimli speaks and sums up the situation for the war council. Everybody listens. As he says, vastly outnumbered, vastly outnumbered. Zero chance of success, no success. Certainty of death. Looks like we're all going to die. And then he asks a question. Well, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? And between all the lines of wisdom is that question. It's in Ecclesiastes, it's in Job, it's in Psalms and Proverbs, it's in Song of Solomon somewhere, somehow, some way. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for somebody else to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. We're waiting for more information. We've got enough information to go on right now. If we wait, we're going we're to lose even more. We're waiting for some more logical way to look at things sometimes it just is a waste of time to wait for more logic you have enough logic today and things don't always logically work out the Astros won the World Series look at that things don't logically work out but life goes on and you've got to make your move you've got to make your decision what are you waiting for you're waiting for somebody else to change the church Nobody else is going to change the church but you. You're waiting for somebody else to, to rise up to volunteer for something. Nobody else is going to rise up but you. The question, the great question of wisdom that hangs in the air all the time is, well, what are we waiting for? Wisdom says, well, what are we waiting for? Yes, life is really hard and difficult things happen. Yes, we have to exert a lot of energy keeping the main thing the main thing. Yes, it's all like one uphill climb all the way if we're going to live intentionally. But when we look at these turns that Solomon gives us in Ecclesiastes 9 and we understand the calling of wisdom, the only possible answer is what are we waiting for? The answer is a question. And then to say, God, I'm here. Use me. That's wisdom. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a moment when we think about things that are bigger than who we are. We thank you for a moment when we can get refocused and we can hear your voice 
calling us into the opportunities that surround us all the time. There's none so blind as the one who doesn't see. A song from long ago reminds us of a wise truth. So Father, take us into your adventure of living. Take us into the wisdom equations of life and show us how with you at our side we can change the world in wisdom and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.